Happy Friday, final Friday before Christmas, final shows. Weekday shows, at least, here on Sportsnet 650 before Christmas. Hope you're having fun on your hustle and bustle, shopping around. We're here for you for the next three hours. Coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet? What are you waiting for? Kintech. Footwear and orthotics. Big Nazar, not solo for the next three hours. Israel Fair, senior editor at The Athletic. What's going on? Good to be here, man. Excited time of year. Happy holidays. Yeah, happy holidays to you and uh, anyone listening. Managed to get all your shopping done? No. You're like a Last December minute. 24th guy? Yeah. yeah. I, I went today. I've, I've told this story before. I usually have a tradition with my cousin. Do it all in one day. <laughs> Haven't been able to do it yet. I went to the mall today and I was like, ah, oh, there's a couple of things. But the inspiration just wasn't hitting. So tomorrow, Sunday, I'm out there in the malls. If you see me, I'm, I'm throwing elbows, right? I, like, <laughs> I got to get things done this weekend. Hopefully, you've gotten your things done already in advance. Yeah, don't be like us. Yeah. Uh, Eddie, Lena, behind the glass. Uh, you can always text in as well. I was 650, good. 650. I was good. I got mine done on Black Friday pretty much. I just oh, wow. was motivated. The itch hit. And all right, you're getting this, 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 and this. Merry Christmas. And that was just like little frivolous things the next day or two for people. Well done. Yeah. Well done. Lena, Christmas shopping? Oh, we're talking about Christmas? Yeah. Uh, we're going to be talking about Christmas for the next three hours. I don't like Christmas. Oh, wow. <laughs> the hot takes are already out. I do not enjoy Christmas. But you understand like other people like it too. Sure. So That's probably part of the reason she doesn't like it, right? You don't like other people being happy? I only like happy? my birthday. <laughs> But it's about oh, her. She likes it. Yeah. Huh? You guys, I'm kidding. But I do not enjoy Christmas. Because She's not so- kidding, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> She's not kidding. Halloween is my go-to holiday. Anything beyond oh, yeah, that is... Yeah. I, all right. I can see that. So do you buy gifts for Halloween just to make up for the things you're not going to do at Christmas? No, but I go all out. <laughs> all right. So you haven't done your shopping? Sorry you asked me. No. I have done all my shopping. It's, it's like a three-hour roundtable today where we're just going to have some fun. Right? It's an early confession on a it's, Friday. It's chill. Yeah. Hey, a three-hour people show on a Friday? What a treat. What, what, what Christmas, Christmas treat. edition. So so maybe uh, maybe we do like a Christmas confessions or something like that. We have to. Later on in the show. What are you pointing at? Something going on in the inbox? Yes. Got to do a best and worst Christmas movies so Izzy can roast a bick on another genre of movies. <laughs> What other genre? Bond. Oh, Bond. The thing that Tarantino. I'm Again, thing that at least that one's subjective. I, I can have a different style for it. The Bond one's like I'm right. What are you talking about? Mm, debatable based on the reaction in the text box at the time. All right, uh, a lot to get to. Uh, again, you can chime in as well throughout the course of the show. Six fifty, six fifty into the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Dunbar Lumber. Three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street, Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center, or Arbutus in Vancouver, online, DunbarLumber.com. Canucks, last night. Oh, by the way, crazy busy show today, too. Brett Fresterling will join us at 3.30, as he always does. Curtis Crabtree from Fox 13 in Seattle will touch on the Seahawks, getting ready for a big game against the Titans. Matt Marchese will join us as well, talk a little NFL, talk a little NHL. And Yannick Hansen, 5 o'clock. 
the closer, the closer uh, into the final hour where normally you would be uh, hanging out on Canuck Central, but they're off. They're slacking off. So Yannick's uh, making a Yannick, surprise. no days off. Kidding me? He's we, got some Canucks takes. We, we figured we're like, oh, Friday before Christmas. Yannick, we'll give him one off. It's like, no, he's got a, and he's got thoughts. He's got a two on O, and he's he's going <laughs> to score. So they don't win last night. Uh, pushed it to OT. Game on the stick. In OT, don't convert a two on O. And it, it looked like, as soon as they crossed the blue line, it looked like, I don't know if they have this one. <laughs> it, it didn't look confident. Well, I mean, the start of overtime was so bad that you needed you needed to see it more than that. You know, like, even a 2 on O given the first three minutes of I'm, overtime. I'm so done with OT. Like, I've said this on the postgame. Eddie's heard me. Let's get rid of OT. Just ties at the end of 60. Let's do that. Like even honestly, the 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 final five minutes was nice because the goal was scored and that yeah. kind of re-energized the game. But that's not the that's not the norm. But but the lead up to that goal was rather stale. There was a chance here and there, but it, it was it, it looked like two teams kind of waiting for a point, and then Teddy Bluger creates his goal. Yeah, and suddenly Gar- Garland's there, and they score that, and suddenly the Dallas is like, all right, we got to work for a point now, and they kind of energize that and, and go go big there at the end. But as you mentioned, the 2 on 0 and look, it's been a recurring theme through a lot of these post-game shows, and I, I like to use the post-game show as a bit of a pulse of the fan base, and I understand it's not for everyone, but you know we've seen it in some games, some post-games here recently. Obviously, Elias Pettersson's you know, had some struggles here. No one's going to sit here and deny that. But last night, when you get something as visual as the 2 on 0 not going in, it, it engineered a lot of reaction. On night when they get a point, they confirm that they have the most points in the NHL. They're doing all these positive things. Third in points percentage. Third in points percentage. Very important. Yeah. You'll notice I said most points in the NHL, not first in the NHL. (laughs) I I know what I'm doing here. Let me work on this side of the mic here. And so so much good things are happening. And the tone, and because it's it's a steady stream of it, because I've seen it from other games, it's a lot of... Like, Elias Patterson, like, is this guy really the one we're going to pay $11, $12 million for? And I'm blown away every single night that this happens to the point that, like, I, I look back and I do we not remember what happened last year? Do we not remember the playoffs? I understand it was the bubble playoffs. Maybe you weren't there. Obviously, nobody was there. It wasn't the chance to really attach yourselves to it. I I just don't know what we're doing anymore at times with conversations like these. Because even in his struggles here, it's the exact same scoring rate. It's the exact same shooting percentage. It, it, it looks similar to last year. Why, why is it that when players are going for raises and they're in line for raises, there is all this consternation over it? I, I don't know what drives this. And it's to the point that I think if in this market fans don't appreciate Elias Pettersson, then we can say, Globally, he's underrated all of a sudden. If the hometown team isn't, a hometown fan base isn't unified in backing this guy and having some concerns of like, oh, I don't know how good this guy is. I'm floored. I'm floored that it happens this frequently. I think with him, the raise is part of it, but the biggest thing is the lack of commitment. He hasn't committed to the team. We know mm-hmm. that it that this has dragged on, this conversation has dragged on. 
since he signed that three-year bridge deal. So anytime there is a slight bump, and like you look at the stats, like you're saying, Bick, the production is still relatively there. Has he been a dominant player the last month? No, absolutely not. But he still has had these games, multi-point games in there, where he's still making smart plays that lead to goals. Mm-hmm. But it, it comes, it's, I think it, it's just, it's a fear, right? Like it's, and it's, this guy is going to end up signing a big contract somewhere. Whether that's not a max term, mm-hmm. he's going to sign a contract for big money. So when he's not performing, it's almost like preemptive. It's like, hey, like you're going to sign this big contract and you're not performing. Fans are, fans are going to go to that place because it, it is a major commitment to a player. It's almost more about what the contract says about the player than the actual mm-hmm. contract itself, right? But, but the, the, the demand that I don't get, it's like, oh, we'll play like an $11 million player. Well, he's literally already done that. Yes. Like he, he's quite literally done it last year. If you just go like 102 points, like that's what guys, when, when guys put up 100 points, they get paid $11 million. And you it's, can it's just the, the backlash that he hasn't signed the contract, that's and which he, you know, can't until stunning. later. Stunning. Yeah. It, yeah. And, and, and I guess technically he can be the one with like, oh, I'm just going to sign it right now yeah. and do it. But given the, the, the steps we've taken to get here, it seems very obvious that like once he's ready to talk, then we'll figure it out. Right. But that's the thing I don't get is is like what drives the fan anger sometimes behind players when they're ready to get races. Because it's not like we do this with owners. We're like, oh, salary cap's going up. These guys getting so much money. Well, that money is a reflection of the player pool. And he's just getting a percentage of the cap. And I know, you know, cap logistics are part of this. But it, it, it floors me every single time that, you know, I, I think he's being undervalued or at least underrated now about what his impact can be for the team. And there are moments, I, I tell you, man, it just, it where there's like mental gymnastics sometimes of, well, he doesn't do this one thing the way I like it. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to hate on everything that he does. And look, I understand like he falls down. <laughs> like I get, it. I see, I see, I said this last night. I see what everyone else sees. But to use that one thing as the reason to discount everything else that happens if he falls down and wasn't producing, that's a big problem. But we've seen him work around this issue. It's it's choosing this one little defect. It's it's Moneyball. Okay, you remember that scene when he's like on the board and he's like, "We, I believe, with our payroll, we can find twenty five guys to build a championship <laughs> roster." Yes, yeah. Like Billy, here's Chad Bradford. His defect. Oh, nice pull. He's like his defect is he he. Pitches kind of funny. He can be one of the most dominant pitchers in baseball. We can get him for $237,000. That's Elias Pedersen right now. People are like, oh, he falls down. Is he? Here's Elias Pedersen. He puts up 100-point seasons. He can be one of the most dominant players in the NHL. He should cost $13 million. But the Vancouver Canucks can get him for eleven. That's what this is right now. <laughs> That's what this is. He falls down. His defect is he falls down sometimes. I, I, I don't get it. I want someone to properly explain it to me of, of why there isn't a thing. Again, someone's texting in. Pedersen isn't producing. Literally has 41 points in 34 games. That That's happening right now. In the last, uh, what is it, uh, 13 games here? Last 10 games, he's got 11 points. 
The bottom line literally is there. It's it's these straw man arguments. Oh, he doesn't do this. He doesn't do this. That's a no, fear. It's fear. You just don't like that he falls down sometimes. But he still does everything. And by the way, right now, the team's winning on top of this. Last year, it's like, oh, he got 100-point seasons in a losing season. I'd understand that argument. They're most points in the NHL right now as of December 22nd. I still think the number one thing is that it's just that he hasn't signed. And so there's this unease until he signs a contract and commits, even if, let's say, it's four or five years, his future here. And then there's just another part of it. It's a cap world. You cannot screw up one of these contracts. Now, I don't believe that giving Elias Patterson anywhere between, to use your numbers, 11 and 13 million would be a misuse of cap space. But there must be something in this market, given the cap issues with this team over the last few years, where there's still the jitters of, are, are we really going to commit this kind of contract to this player? I'm, I'm sold. I've been sold mm-hmm. for a long time. I, I see, even though, like I said, hasn't been the dominant player for about a month now, there's still, it's not like he disappeared, right? It's not like he's completely inefficient. It's like, it's not like he's completely unproductive. The, the numbers are still there. The team is winning. It's just, for a guy like him, there's, there's a, I guess, a bar to clear. And this isn't anything new either, Bick, because the Sedins went through some of this as well in Vancouver. When they got their big contracts, it was, okay, now you guys got to be the, the guys. You have to be the best players on this team, the best players on a contending team. Mm-hmm. There's still some road to run there with Pedersen. And the idea is if he does ultimately sign in Vancouver, those will be the stakes. But what the Sedins did after they signed is... And guess what they were. Yeah, they did it. Pearson, Hart. Yeah. Two, you know, Stanley Cup um, final appearance. Like, they they did it, um, at least in that context. I guess, yeah, I think people are just a little... They're antsy about the Pedersen situation. I don't get it. I don't get it. A lot of texts coming in. He completely disappears in many games. Uh, 650, 650. Pedersen for Horvat, please, please. That price is going to kill the team. This is what we see regularly. And I'm, I'm, I'm floored by it every single time. Well, I, I'd be curious what, I, like to flip it, what for the, the negative people mm-hmm. on Pedersen, does he, does he need to score five goals per game? Like to set the bar mm-hmm. in reverse, what do you need to see? Because if, if you're just going to say, well, he's he's not productive enough, even though the last, you know, tack this season onto last season, he's been one of the most productive players in the league. He's a catalyst on the power play. The power play has been incredibly good this year. Um, I still think that there's even room for growth. We're not talking about a player who's hit his ceiling yet. For me, those are all positives. But what's the flips like? Compare him, you know, does he have... Are you, are you not going to be sold until he puts up McDavid numbers? I, I don't think that's realistic. So that was the other thing I said yesterday is like we live in a world where th- like this freak of nature exists in Connor McDavid. And what's going to happen is like some players are going to make the same amount of money as him. As, as much as some players make the same amount of money as Sidney Crosby. A lot of players. Make more than Sidney Crosby through the peak of his career. Like he won back-to-back Stanley Cups. Those players making more than him. And... Like, you're just twisting yourself into pretzel to do the, well, McDavid makes this much, and so 
nobody else should make more. It's like that's not what's going to happen here. Players are going to make more than Connor McDavid, and you, you can't just do the one to one thing. It's it's not well. This guy's does this, and so everyone else should fall in line. It's what do you make at the time the market when you sign the contract? It's it's what is your value at the time you sign your deal? And right now, it's going to come pretty close to Connor McDavid's. I don't think it's going to surpass, but people are going to say, well, it's just it's $1.2 million less than that, so it's got to be one. That, that's not how this works. It's just, do you get to a certain play, place where you believe this player can achieve certain things for you? And for me, like, I look at Elias Pettersson, that's, and that's a first-line center, center who could win a cup. Yeah. And so... I care less about the 125 points versus 109 points. It's can he do what you need getting done? And for me, like he answers that question. It's and just the, the last little bit. He's 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 not been the same. One month does not worry me. No, and even in the the throws of his down season, where he missed a lot of time with injury, I mean the numbers were still pretty good. It's just there was an expectation after the first couple of years that there would be mm-hmm. another jump. But he did it last year, so yeah. To to me, it's it's just it's hard to. I, I'm not going to be swayed, mm-hmm. but clearly there are people just based on the texts that we're getting that aren't going to be swayed from their position. I'm I'm curious what they need to see, or if they fait accompli like this. They, you know, they just don't believe that Patterson is. I, I think I think it's the falling down thing. Man. A ten, I, I, eleven million dollar player. As silly as that is, I just think it looks different. It's like oh, we well, can't win with that guy. Uh, 650, 650, because we're in the Christmas mood today uh, as well. We're getting ready for the holidays here. Last uh, show here on 650. The other thing, what's on the uh, holiday wish list for the Vancouver Canucks? You can put anything. Sportsnet.ca was actually putting uh, an article on that today. And it was, uh, Elias Pedersen gets a contract. Okay. What was the, uh, on the wish list. Uh, so, so what's under your Canucks tree? Text in 650, 650. They can get one thing. You write the letter, lick the stamp, throw it up there out to the North Pole or wherever it goes, uh, New York, to the head office of uh, <laughs> of the NHL. Uh, what is under the Canucks Christmas tree? I got one. It's, it's actually cheap. It's much cheaper than a Patterson contract. Okay. A calculator to do calculate the winning percentage, the points percentage. <laughs> so everyone's, you know, the Canucks can know yeah. whether or not they're truly a first place team. That's a small wish, man. Like, look, we're we're, we're starting small. We're we're, we're trying to be right. reasonable. Out That's here. a stocking stuffer, like a, a calculator in the stocking stuffer. We're like, oh, six ninety one. There we go. <laughs> Done. <laughs> it's it's less than seven thirty three and seven fifty, uh, but they're they're right up there. They're right up there. I mean, you could also use it to do goal differential, which they are number one. That plus forty three is that good. Uh, 11 goals up on the LA Kings. All right, I'll, I'll, I'll unveil mine uh, in the next uh, segment there. Uh, we'll talk to Brett Feshling. What's, uh, what's another Christmas list for the Vancouver Canucks for him? Uh, and for you, 650-650 into the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Keep it busy. Driving around today. Uh, stay safe on the roads, of course. But uh, if you're out uh, shopping today, uh, interact. Stay uh, involved with the show uh, for the next two and a half hours, longer edition of the People Show today. Back in a minute here. Bick Nazar, Israel Fair, Brett Festerling on the way here. Home of the Canucks, Sportsnet, 650. Continuing on on the People Show, long show today. Two and a half hours, or three hours, but two and a half hours to go. 
Friday edition. We'll get to uh, many things throughout the course of the show. Guys naming dudes, big six, all that uh, still to come. But we still have Brett Festerling. Brett Festerling Fridays, uh, former NHLer, Vancouver Giants, Sportsnet 650 contributor, uh, who joins us here on Fridays uh, with uh, a co-host today, Bick Nazar and Israel Fair. Uh, Brett, what's going on? Not, not much. How are you doing? Happy holidays. Get uh, all that shopping done? Uh, no, man. I, I got plenty to do. I, I, you know that that inspiration just didn't hit today. I was I was still focused on the game last night, and I was like, I, I was I was I was coasting out there in the wall. Yeah, if you're looking for a third line, Christmas came early. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I got to learn how to grind from store to store right now. I was <laughs> just get in the corners. Yeah, get what you need get out. I, I was, I was, I was looking like the Canucks on uh, on on Sunday against uh, Chicago. Just walk around, grab a couple of stocking stuffers, get two points, and and stroll out of there. Yeah, pack the two points and get out of town. <laughs> All right, let's get into a, a bunch of stuff here. Uh, you mentioned that third line. Uh, they have established themselves, and it just it, it gets better and better every game. Uh, the the play Bluger makes to set up the the go ahead goal last night. Uh, I, I was I was swooning about that on the post game show, but there's so much to like. But what that line is doing overall, yeah, overall on I would say most parts of the ice. Right, the Bluger starts starts it with a good neutral zone play. He's the one that turns the puck over, and then Garland's supporting and then obviously that soft pass across cross cross ice is not the easiest thing to do and then joshua returns um that favor of the nice pass that he got in the first from garland back to garland it's it was beautiful they're they're yeah they're really adding some value to the team the third line has been really the headliner at least the last week or so but they've they've played some pretty solid hockey uh a little bit longer than that as well and they're getting rewarded for it now but there's still questions about the other lines, and I guess specifically uh, the Elias Patterson line, where there has been a little rotation of wingers because, unlike last year, Andre Kuzmenko isn't the guy stapled to him. Uh, we've seen Pia Suter there a little bit lately. Uh, what, what do you make of that fit uh, in, in a bit of a different style for someone to play with Patterson? Yeah, I'd like to hear your guys' take on this too. It's definitely different than Lafferty. I think they're different players in that line seems to look a lot different to me anyway like Lafferty was really driving that north more of a grind game but but kind of get on the four check turn it over get opportunities off of that a lot like you saw kind of Miller and Besser early in the year and then um, the suitor seems more I mean suitor skill set just seems more um, geared towards getting PD the puck and then PD kind of controlling the pace of, of how that shift goes, whether it's getting it in or trying to go more east-west. So it definitely feels like a different speed to me. Uh, I don't know. I noticed PD a lot last night in good and bad. He seemed to control pucks in more scenarios, I think, with Suter. But it also puts him, um, you know, in spots where maybe he's trying to, to beat too many guys and not necessarily getting it north or having players that, get in behind D and create that space for him. I don't know. What do you guys think? I, I like the fact that, you know, it, it, it seems like Suter's very comfortable with the puck on his stick. And I think we, when yeah. we think about that traditionally, it's, all right, like go make a play and, and, and go take it to the net or something like that. But it does feel like he's comfortable with the puck on his stick while Elias Pettersson kind of navigates space and get it back to him. Where sometimes with Kuzmenko or, or Lafferty, you know, 
here recently, Lafferty, it's been far more direct, obviously, but it hasn't necessarily always returned back to Elias Pettersson. And Kuzmenko, like, I don't know, we, we could do a whole show on <laughs> on on the, the Andre Kuzmenko conversation so far this year. But just so far, like, there's a, a methodical nature to how Suter kind of controls the puck and looks for Elias Pettersson immediately. Yeah, and I think if they can build off that, and that's the big question that remains, I think, is if they can find some chemistry in that, then you should have more opportunities where they do have those give and goes and maybe work little plays that are uh, more strategic and kind of more of a chess match in, in that zone rather than kind of that brute force, get the shoulder and take it to the crease, you know, in a, in a Lafferty type style. So I think it's a, they're both good players, whether they will fit or, or really kind of get in sync there. I'm not sure yet. Speaking of uh, maybe a bruising style, taking the puck to the net, uh, we saw a pretty vintage JT Miller play where he drives to the net and creates a, a lane for Brock Besser to score another pretty goal. Uh, JT is, I guess, you know, seen now these days as a, a modern power forward. He's maybe not quite as big as the guys 15, 20 years ago, but he can obviously skate. He's obviously not uh, scared to throw his body around. As a D-man, what... What can you do against a guy like Miller when he's bearing down on you and you also have to take into account that if, if he's you know, opening up space, the guy that's next to him is, uh, is on a pretty, a pretty strong scoring tear at the moment? Yeah, well, that's exactly what he does. He makes the demon have to commit to him, have to respect Miller for his skill. And then when he dips the shoulder like that and drives, I have to be ready for that. And then you see the, the Dallas D-man, he's heading back towards his net. So then when Miller does make that room or does that turn, he's got so much more room because that D-man just can't close that gap. And then obviously, yeah, Besser's hot right now. But for coaches, I mean, every coach above that coaches 12-year-old uh, pros, there's a progression of line rushes. You go down the wall, you shoot it on the net. You go down with a center who's driving. You go. The first progression is the shot for the rebound. The second is the pass. The third is the forward cuts in behind the guy driving, which you see PD do all the time. And then the fourth is exactly what Miller does there: is that dip shoulder, make that that D man commit to you, and then turn back and hit the late guys, whether that's the fourth D or the best. So that's very, yeah, classic power forward. And I think Miller. Did a, a you know does an incredible job of, of getting physical, and then especially after you see Miller get hit, he kind of got a blindside, bit dirty hit, maybe two shifts before that, and you knew he was mad and he was going to go create something. He just when he gets in that mode, I like when guys hit Miller because he gets really mad and then he goes and creates stuff. Right. So <laughs> that was that was a pretty textbook power power drive, and for coaches that that want guys to learn how to drive that inside and peel off. That's a really good clip to watch. All right, we've talked about a couple of the goals for. Uh, I, I thought it was such an interesting game last night because there was so much to unpack from each of the goals. Uh, let's start with the Sagan goal. Because, um, you know, we talked about it on the broadcast. It felt like maybe Garland got a bit too high there on Heiskanen and he cuts up ice and suddenly here comes Heiskanen, Sagan, and Duchesne all with speed. And Cole and Myers kind of have to process this all in real time with guys flying at them at the red line. What can they do in that scenario on that goal? Is there anything that they can do to prevent it? Like, I think they do an okay. I think it's just one of those you kind of tip your cap to. That Dallas line, mm-hmm. Heiskanen gets that four on four, 
which, especially as a D man, as soon as you make a move and that forward, you see that forward on the wrong side of you, meaning you're closer to the opposition net than, you know, the defender is, that's green light to go. That's just, there's your opportunity right there. So Heiskanen actually does a really good job of making something really out of nothing there. And then you're right, Cole and Meyer have to play this kind of half three-on-two early. But then Dallas gets it to the middle right away, which screws up D-men. That's the hardest thing for D-men to defend. If you get it to the middle coming in the blue line, it's very risky. You usually don't do it because it's a turnover most times. But they just do a good job of getting it to the middle. And then now it's kind of scramble time. But Duchesne makes a pretty, really nice, little passer showing his skill. He was a great pickup. And then Sagan, even just one-hander. You know, I think that was just a lot of skill taking advantage of the time. That's an NHL play, and that's one of the biggest differences between the NHL and any league is you have a turnover or they make a play and you turn something into nothing or nothing into something really quick. And they did that. They really pounced on that opportunity and, and... took advantage of it of really not much there so i would say i think just Sagan, to shane and ice and made a really good point then there's the uh, the tying goal three and a half minutes left canucks have taken a three two lead off of a face-off the canucks do win the face-off but uh the you know the next pass off of the, the way that the puck was supposed to be played out of of the zone doesn't work out clearly some guys are out of position uh is that to you a, a set play or, or a, an idea off of a face-off gone wrong or is there more to it than that no it's 100 percent a set play it's 100 percent rim this as hard as you can and then what actually goes wrong is miller loses the draw but then recovers it and that that creates this split second of Joshua having to think if he needs to go to the wall or not. And then he's late to the wall. He's two feet late to the wall. So what that's, what's that supposed to happen there is as soon as you win the draw, Joshua's not even looking at the puck. He's going full blast to the D-man, and he's, he's almost reverse hitting him. This is what he's trying to do. He's just trying to jam that guy up and get that puck through. And you see Miller take off because he's supposed to be the guy receiving it kind of at the far blue line. But – Dallas does a good job. They re- they reverse pinch it, so the D-man's further down, harder to get to, and they just know what's coming. Their guys are in good spots to be on the D side and then pounce on it. So, again, Dallas does a good job of reading it. Vancouver probably – Miller probably doesn't have to go there. It's one of those scenarios where you're up a goal. You should probably be under the puck, but Dallas does a good job of pouncing on it. Okay, so here's the question off of that. Like I, we, we we thought exactly this that just that it was a set play. Should they be running that set play up a goal that many minutes to go in regulation, where where guys blow in the zone like that? No, they shouldn't be blowing the zone. But I don't mind the I don't mind the rim play. It usually usually what happens is you pull the they end up pulling the goalie. I don't know. I don't think that scenario was a pulled goalie, but they're coming. Both wingers are coming on the D-man. You don't have a lot of time to do anything, so it's usually a set play. So it's either D-man rimming, depending on where you think the forwards are going and how they're lined up, you're going to run the hard rim, or you're going to do the up the short side. So the D-man would switch, and the forehand would come up and go off the tight, high up the tight wall there, which Canucks have done a lot in the past. So I don't mind the play call, because you only have a few options really there. 
but it just it really comes if Joshua needs to get get to that wall, and it's unfortunate he doesn't and ends up in the back of the net. But I think it's mainly don't get don't blow the zone before the puck is really what it was, and be able to recover. But again, Dallas does a good job. They're such a Pete DeBoer team; mm-hmm. they just keep coming. Right? They're not like up and down and and a two to an eight to a three. They're always kind of just cruising in that like seven, eight, seven, six, eight. You know, they they kind of just always come at you, and they're always in pretty good position, and they always just play this pucks to the net style. So, I mean, hats off to them. But yeah, I wouldn't blow the zone there. Well, like you mentioned, Joshua kind of gets stuck in no man's land because it's not a clean win. In that case where you've headed out to take the face off and there's an idea of if if we control the puck, here's what we're going to do, how much do you as a player want to lean on your instinct versus uh, just sticking with what the play is supposed to be? I'd go with your instinct as long as you're in the the play. You can put it on the D-man too. Like As a D-man, we'd always say never trust the forward. That's just kind of like you know, <laughs> what, you, what you live by as a D-man, never trust the forward. So the D-man should hammer that thing and take the icing too. Like his fail-safe is like right. Joshua right. goes, but if I ice this thing, no big deal. We end up in the same spot. Sure. I'm going to hit this thing as hard as I can. If it hits the Dallas D-man in the chest and knocks him down, like so be it. We'll take the icing or whatever it is, but this is getting out. So it, it comes down to that. That being said, they get a point, and it's, to me, that's a learning scenario for the Canucks. So that's a scenario they go through, it bites them. I don't think they're going to make that mistake next time they run that play in two minutes. So I don't mind them going through that and getting a point, especially where they are in the standing. I don't think they'll make that mistake again. And if it comes down to a playoff game and you're protecting a lead, I bet you that D-man's going to hammer, and if Josh was out there, he's going to be through that body. It's interesting, too, because we've seen that play get run, and it's Hoaglander with that line there with Miller and Besser. It's Joshua in that moment. Maybe that plays a role into it uh, as well. Uh, another forward, though, uh, I want to touch on, uh, Sam Lafferty. Uh, you know, he, he gets moved off the, the Pedersen line that we talked about. Here in the last three games uh, for Sam Lafferty, it's uh, 9 minutes and 34 seconds, 11 minutes, and 9 minutes and 33 seconds. Is this something we should be keeping an eye on with Sam Lafferty? Yeah, I'm not sure. Sure, I I really like the way he played with the, with. Nope, did we lose him there? Right, still there. To put it to, yeah, right. am I there. Yeah, we lost you there for a second. You want to start over there? Yeah. So okay. So Lafferty, I'm not sure if we need to kind of keep tabs on. I really liked the way Lafferty played on that top line and, and how he played kind of during that opportunity. Um. Yeah, the fourth line doesn't seem to have. Uh, you know, found their collector, found their niche or, or whatever you want to call it. Lafferty has been a little less, um, you know, I don't know if he was all productive or, or how to, you know, he hasn't been as usual or he drives it and you notice mm-hmm. how much he's he's driving the four check and getting into body. And part of that's just minutes and opportunity and guys you're playing with. But um, fourth line guys kind of need to figure out a way to do that. So I don't know what they're going to do there in terms of chemistry between whatever three guys they pick, but I think we'd like to see a little more uh, energy, I'd say, out of that fourth line. 
last night's game wrapped up the road trip, and I guess you could say that the, the trip ended in a way that was very different than the way it started, where uh, Saturday and then I think even the, the game Sunday against Chicago, uh, you know, the Canucks get their points, but uh, the performances are ones where there, there were quite a few holes, whereas I think uh, last night's game, by and large, pretty happy with the performance. Uh, there might be one or two things that led to direct goals, and like you were saying about like a Pete DeBoer team, like you you give them the opportunity to get get towards net or get pucks on net, they're, they're going to take advantage. But when you look at it within the context of the road trip, and I mean us sitting in these chairs, we tend to do that. We look at the home stand. Here's how many points they need from the home stand. Here's how many points they should get on the road trip as a team what do you take from the games like the ones over the weekend where maybe it's not your best, but you grind out two points versus a game where you feel like you played a pretty good one, but ultimately don't get the the full two. Well, I I think I'd prefer the better, the better game and not get the full two because to me, those are a numbers game. If you play 82 games that way, you're just going to come out on top more than you don't. It is really nice to know that you can grind out points when you're not having a good game or, or don't deserve it. That's confidence in the system. That's confidence usually in your goaltender. And, and you get a bit of a swagger being able to do that and get away with it, especially if you can string string them in between some of these nice runs of wins. But I think that the team's done a good job recognizing that when they haven't performed, they've been vocal about it and they've recognized that they're not just uh, kind of thinking they got away with one and they're playing okay. So they've usually kind of nipped any of those problems or, or they've addressed them. But I would rather play well and not get the points and just know, hey, if we play that way, uh, we'll, we'll come out on top. Uh, we've been having a, a Elias Pettersson discussion here, and you know, so here much. We go. It'll, it, I, I know it's, it's been happening so much here. I, I'm actually floored every time it happens, um, and well, I'm sure we'll talk about it tomorrow when you join us then too. Uh, but you know, in this discussion, it does get brought up some time, and it's a fair point here from Torgi texting in six fifty six fifty. You know, Pettersson's worth every penny. You know, the the, the criticisms are, are delusional. Imagine if he had a legit running mate, and that last point is is something that gets brought up of. You know, he's he's doing this with McCabe. He's doing this with a rotation of the other wingers. Whereas other guys like McKinnon gets Ranton in, Matthews gets Marner or Nylander. If if you had to pick uh, like the, the dream winger for Elias Pettersson right now. Because we used to do this with the Sedins all the time. It was like, a Ginla would be perfect. <laughs> you know, I, I always thought like Justin Williams and Patrick Sharp would be perfect for the Twins, right? right? Yeah. Like that style of player. Oh. Um, if you had to pick a dream winger for Elias Pettersson, who's, it, uh, who's top of your list? So, so hard. Um, I, I mean, I like... I like what I saw in the Lafferty games because a bit more of the North, and I feel like it created a lot of room for him. Obviously, Lafferty, he's obviously an NHL player and, and, and very good, but mm-hmm. maybe the skills lacking, we call it an eight, nine million dollar player. I would love to see like a legit power forward, like almost like a Natushkin, Barbashev. I think about like old Bertuzzi days with Naslin kind of thing. Right. I, I like that style of line. I think it's really hard to play against. It's very dynamic in different ways as a demon that's guarded against them. 
I don't know if that's the right fit for him. I don't know if we've seen that. So it's hard to to judge because he might do really well with just like a solid Swedish winger that, that kind of feeds off the same style and play and they can just give and go and pick apart defenses as well. So I don't know. I, I kind of lean towards maybe the power forward that has some of the skill. You maybe even got like a guy in the in the likes of Hyman, something like that. I'm not necessarily the biggest Hyman fan, but you kind of get where I'm going with it, I right. think. I mean, that's technically supposed to be Mikheyev, though, too, right? Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. But is Mikheyev that, or is he a poor man version of that? A bit? Right. Not, nothing against Mikheyev. Is it, He's is a great it... player and plays well. Just bring it to the next level. Is it tougher to find a comp because he's kind of a unique player too? Yeah, I think PD has a very unique style. He has, he, he's, he's kind of got, he reminds me so much of Datsuk in terms of just his skill and his grittiness in terms of the reverse hits he'll throw when guys are coming at him or, or savvy kind of stick lifts kind of behind guys, almost, you know, waiting, trapping them. Waiting, thinking they making them think they have enough room to take a pass and do something, and then, and then he uses that against them at the last second kind of thing. So it, it would be hard to find somebody that fits perfectly with his style because I think you need a very smart hockey IQ player to to read off him and know where to to go and when to stay back and when to support and when to give him room. But I don't know. That's that's a really tough one. What do you what do you guys think? Can I throw that back at you? Well, well someone's texting in here and it says it sounds like you're describing Miller, right? And you think, it's yeah, like, yeah, well, totally. we've literally seen it work with JT Miller uh, on on Patterson's wing. You know, it's I think my initial thought is just like a a a off the puck like sniper. Yeah. Like, kind of like we yeah, saw such a good disher. with with Tyler Toffoli, right? It worked there where someone who was so intelligent to find space away from the play and like he'll find you eventually. And then there you are. Uh, if, if you got a good release, you got a good shot, you'll get your goals. Yeah. That's I, yeah. In, in my mind's eye, that's how I view it. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I like that thought process. I think shooters, pure shooters, are a bit of a dying breed. You don't yeah. see. I, I don't think you see as much shooters as you did in the old like Brett Hall, Shanahan, those kind of guys, the Clares. But yeah, that's that's a that's a tough call. I mean, we're gonna we're gonna keep looking at it. I don't know if we'll ever see Miller and PD together again, because especially if Miller's staying center, obviously. Mm-hmm. But I, I like that old Rick Tockett. Can we bring back an old <laughs> Rick Tockett? That would be rough. Yeah, get him to a uh, player coach. Player coach. <laughs> Uh, hey man, you, you Reggie Dunlop. Yeah, you become like a coach on this show, man. Appreciate all the insights. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. He's uh, Brett Fesling. Brett. Brett Fesling Fridays. We'll talk to him tomorrow uh, over at the rink uh, as they get ready for another game against the San Jose Sharks. Fourth game against the Sharks. That's a lot. That's a lot. Uh, as I'm thinking about players, there I mentioned, you know, Toffoli. Yeah, uh, the, the dream guy for me. He's not acquirable, but just the dream guy. Would be like a Kyle Connor, okay, like someone with a lot of speed, obviously. But yeah, could you imagine Connor Mikheyev on opposite wings? Ooh, that would be the dream. And, I mean, the idea there would be Mikheyev would make up some of Connor's defensive, yeah, you know, lack of <laughs> success. It's not terrible, but it's not great. No. But nevertheless, like, the analytics are not very good. Pedersen, but he's and, uh, uh, he is a, a bona fide sniper. Yeah, 
super fast. But I mean, the point that I think we ultimately landed on there with Brett was that Patterson is such a unique player and that he could, like, you could have the idea of a put him with a power forward and play like a pretty typical north south game and he's going to be fine or your idea of like oh get him a sniper and just let like his toolbox as much as the texters may be disagreeing or some texters may be disagreeing today like you have so many creative options there, mm-hmm. which is why we've seen him with, you know, Kuzmenko last year. How many tap-ins did Kuzmenko have last year? Mm-hmm. So many. The success of the lotto line. Um, but it, it is like, I mean, I, I would say this. I used to say this a lot about McDavid. And McDavid's thing is his speed. There aren't. There just simply aren't a lot of players who can keep up with his speed. So when they go and they get someone like Zach Hyman or Evander Kane, two guys who are a little bit bigger but skate well for their size, you finally find a fit there, right? Patterson's not quite the same because it's not the speed. It is a little bit more of the Sedins, mm-hmm. although the thing with the Sedins is they had each other. So they, they, they was all, it was about finding that third complementary mm-hmm. piece. And, I mean, Mikheyev has been a really steady player when he's been healthy for this team. But finding that third dimension uh, is, it, it does feel like it would unlock a lot for the Canucks. He almost kind of feels like, I'm not saying he's this level of player. It's cross port reference here. But it's always been interesting to me of how like the Denver Nuggets had to figure out how to get people to play with Jokic. For sure. Because it's, it, it's almost like he's playing a different sport. Because like how many big men passers are there? Yeah, ten assists, and, big big men. Yeah, it's, you know you had Gasol and, and Noah there, but you know, they weren't yeah. they weren't Jokic. And so you almost have to recreate like okay, he mentioned that's right. You have to go through. Like, I, I I do really like that comparison. Yeah, and and we always reference it. So it's it's not even just okay. Who does Patterson play like? Who are the guys that played well with Datsuk? And sort of figuring that piece out. Sure, Zetterberg obviously had a little spell there. Yeah, they, they obviously play down the middle as well, but. Like that style is Franzen, Holmstrom's. Yeah, the big boys. Yeah. Also a different style of game back then. And you know totally I, different reality. I pulled up Datsuk's numbers and his, you know, his best yeah. his best seasons, his seasons, he had a couple of seasons where he was verging on a hundred points, which was harder to do at the time, was those great Red Wings teams post lockout. The, the one that won yeah. the cup in 08, of course. That was his and then he eventually aged into a player that could just control the game. You know, kind of, like the Patrice Bergeron mm-hmm. style um, where he didn't need to put up a ton of points to, to control the game that way but he was he was close to a 100 point player in the in the prime of his career. Big Nazar, Israel Fair, back in a minute here running late here in the first hour of many on the way on the last show before Christmas, uh, interact with us, 650-650 to the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. More of your thoughts coming up here on the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.